Hey, you know what, Steve? I work a lot of hours. You could say I work OT. Maybe sometimes FT. Mike is straining <laughs> so much based only no, on the no, title no, no. of the video we're watching. <laughs> PT, does the, it's not part-time 109, Mike. Oh, okay. I thought that said a, uh, I thought that was that college course that told me what to expect in my first job. No, it's the song we're discussing today. Oh, fuck you both. Uh, on... This week's episode of the Song Telling You Report, a mashup episode where we dissect bad, bizarre, or otherwise noteworthy music and the historical facts behind it to figure out how it died and to also multi-brand. I'm your host slash instructor, Steve Trollinger. I'm Nick Brigadier, but I also will say, Steve, we already have one offshoot show that we do occasionally on this music history slash comedy podcast we can't have two offshoot shows that are just slightly different versions of the previous kinds it's not an offshoot it's a hybrid welcome to the offshootsy report anyway who's our other co-host oh yeah i'm your gold star student mr mike russell all joking aside this is this is believe it or not an episode of the flagship, the Song Topsy Report. Uh, it's going to be it's more of a rowboat than a flagship, but yeah, yes. it's or a or a PT boat of sorts. See, there's the segue, you idiots. Oh, um, uh, is that like a dinghy? No, we'll get we'll get into it. All right, Steve, are we learning about the history of boats on this week's episode of the Song Topsy Report? We're gonna we're actually gonna talk a little bit about certain types of boats. Yes, but first let's. Uh, Let's take a crack at the song we're discussing. Uh, now, the reason why there's a little bit more history behind this as opposed to song facts is because we're actually covering a gentleman that we've fairly recently covered. Now, usually we like, if we do a twofer, we like to put some time in between it, but this was very time-sensitive, and also this was the song that originally brought me to the attention of one Jimmy Dean, the Sausage King of America, uh, who, as Nick pointed out 50,000 times in our previous episode on him, feels like a tight pair of pants ready to bust out in the morning uh and uh he it was you please go back and listen to our episodes on his saga of big bad john but as it turns out three songs about a guy named john weren't enough he had one more john to talk about in 43 they put the sea 13 men and kennedy aboard the pt 109 to fight the Oh my God, when that song hits the dance floor, things get hot. What a foot tapper, Steve. So glad we're doing Jimmy Dean again. <laughs> when I feel like tapping my foot, Steve, nothing gets me going like some Jimmy Dean sausage. Um, so I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about what the song's about because I can feel you guys really grasping at straws to try to figure out things to joke about. I'm thinking, I think I got a pretty good foundation, Steve. Okay. I think I have 45 minutes of something I could use as reference. Okay. No, that was a different. No, those are different Johns. This is a real John. This is the oh, real. Okay. Yeah. Big, big bad John F. Kennedy. JFK, the real big bad John. He had one more big John to talk about. Uh, how familiar are you guys with uh, an event in time known as World War Two? Is that isn't that the war? Is that when we finally became a superpower? That is very good, Mike. Extra points. Gold stars all day. There's a point system now. It's like whose line? Uh, so 
1960, no, obviously World War II wasn't fought in 1960, but in uh, 1962, uh, Jimmy Dean was sort of riding high on the success of the song Big Bad John and others, as we discussed previously, and he came across this uh, song called PT-109. It was written by Mary John Wilkin and Fred Birch. Now, Mary John Wilkin was a country music songwriter, and she was kind of known as the den mother of music of uh, music Roche. So she was like the godmother of Nashville, essentially. Wait, where does den mother rank compared to godmother? Is that a higher rank? Is that a lower rank? I guess den mo- godmother is like someone who makes wishes come true, and den mother is someone who just sort of corrals everyone to make sure they don't shoot each other. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I thought godmother was the lady that's chosen by my parents who they, you know, when they, if they fucked up and died, that they, she'd have to take care of me. That too. It's, it's yeah, got it's a, a go- lot of context. It goes godmother, den mother. You don't want to be like garbage mother, though. That, like, to be called, <laughs> like, you're the garbage mother of country music is not a lofty title. But that's the lady I send my kids to when they're bad. I'm like, you know what? You're going to go see your garbage mom for a little while. We digress, though. Uh, so, yes, known as the den mother of Nashville, he, she wrote songs that uh, went on to be used by Rod Stewart, Mick Jagger, and her protege, Chris Christopherson. Uh, and Fred Birch wrote songs for Perry Como, Paul McCartney, and Elvis, among others. So they wrote this song in the early 60s, in the, uh, the beginning of JFK's presidency. He was elected in 1960. Okay, as you so just remember, to confirm, the JFK thing wasn't a bit. That is the John we are talking about. Yes. No, that's not a bit. We're talking about JFK today. Hell, both these Johns got a <laughs> got a lot of action and died saving something or holding something up. You know, he held up this country for a long time, didn't he? Only three years. <laughs> he didn't make it to a second to a second term. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, by the way, audience. There's going to be a lot of contextualization throughout this show because, uh, for one, we're going to be talking about certain events during World War II, and we were fighting. In the Pacific Theater during World War II, the, the the Imperial Japanese, the nation of Japan, and we used a lot of expressions back then that now they are our good friends and allies. We would never think to use such expressions, but back then we used them with alarming frequency and treated them as our mortal enemies because in that moment in time they were. But we're, we're going to try to keep that contextualization in mind as we talk about the Japanese, JFK, and uh, the U.S. of A. in World War II. But okay, back so to the... The song yeah, is sir. called PT-109. I'm already trying to think of all of the horribly offensive, outdated slang and terms that PT could stand for. So I'm really so, hoping... So do neither of you know what PT-109 is? It's after you uh, break a few bones in your body and you have your 109th visit to Dr. Pamela and you're getting the physical therapy. You know, I went through I went through this before. I went through this before after my car accident. A lot of physical therapy. So. That, that might be true, Mike, but I always remember PT-109 is the best place to find adult contemporary music on the radio. Tune in every weekdays for Jazzy in the Morning. Okay, so your inane babbling leads me to believe that you don't know what PT one Pacific uh, Theater PT-109 by any chance? Was. No, no, it's not a guessing game. I'm gonna tell you if you just this wait isn't a five game minutes. Show? 
So they those two wrote this song, Jimmy Dean, 1962, fresh off of his uh, Big Bad John success for his new album, Portrait of Jimmy Dean, he chose this song. This song became his biggest hit of that year. It peaked at number three on the country chart for 13 weeks and crossed over into both the pop and adult contemporary uh, charts at number eight and two, respectively. And it was one of a series of popular military songs that all came out in the 60s. Like, if you've ever heard the song, The Ballad of the Green Beret, um, that, Ooh, like, send, send that one for us, Steve. You know I love it. And the Green Beret. I don't know the rest of the lyrics. That's the only part I know. Um, they uh, Those songs, by the way, became decidedly anti-military towards the middle to late 60s for some strange reason. I wasn't able to figure out what, that, what the cause of that one was. Uh, some people just decided not to like the military after, like, 1964, and I don't, again, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, Jimmy Dean, uh, right in the middle of JFK's presidency, he's very popular at this time. Uh, he decided to pick this song to commemorate John F. Kennedy's crowning achievement. Uh, and if you want to know what that is, we'll listen to the song a little bit more. In 43, they put the sea, 13 men and Kennedy aboard the PT-109 to fight the Santa in the street beyond the route. A Jap destroyer in the night cut the 109 in two. So this is this song itself is going to be a very uh weird first of all, it's weird to try to teach someone history through song. Uh, especially if you're trying to make it like a popular song. Uh, Steve, uh, a little show <laughs> oh. called Schoolhouse Rock would disagree. Yeah, Steve. That's how don't you remember how they made the bill up on Capitol Hill? All I remember is I'm an executive order and I kind of just happen. <laughs> that was one of their shorter songs. Where's the schoolhouse rock teaching me what I have to do to file bankruptcy when things go wrong? You know, I think that's a very good thing to start, Mike. There's a lot of things we don't learn in fucking high school and middle school that we should have learned before they sent us out into this crap trap world. But we that know it's been a good one. But we know about I'm assuming now using context clues, a boat that Kennedy was on. Yes. Okay. You're slowly but surely figuring it out. And the fact that I have to actually go into this is a damning <laughs> indictment of our of our history and public school system. How to get the 109 name to it. Okay. So the song, as it just said, in 43, 1943, now U.S. had entered World War II after the attack on Pearl Harbor, as we all know. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> we entered into the Pacific Theater, which, as any World War II veteran would tell you, is not the fun theater to be in in World War II, uh, as we were basically island hopping for like three or four years, trying to, through like hundreds and thousands of casualties, try to get a small amount of people off of a hundreds of tiny islands on a slow but, you know, bloody way to Japan. And uh, as he always, as I mentioned before, the contextualization, he already used the word Jap, which was the uh, derogatory term a lot of Americans liked using way back when to discuss our now allies, the Japanese. Uh, so a PT, I should say. It's, that's, uh, it's interesting, right? I think we talked about this before, but when you shorten up a word on something, it makes it offensive. You know, like I'm wondering... Like, you know, calling Irish people mix because, you know, it's like the beginning of their name. I mean, I probably shouldn't go into offensive words. You could no, say, Mike, go through like, a whole list <laughs> of them. Yeah, go Let's get them, them all out. You know, <laughs> I just, 
I just, I'm just remarking on how it's interesting. I'm wondering, like, what's the next one that's going to happen, you know? Let's workshop. Like, for exa- like, like, I'm just saying it's interesting. The shorter you make the word, the more offensive. Like, if I called you Steph. Hey, Steph. Hey, go, you fuck your, <laughs> fuck right off, Mike. How fucking dare you? She <laughs> use that language at me. Meh. Or, or Nikki Briggs. Do you already I like that? I love that. I <laughs> My name is already one syllable. It's difficult to make it more offensive. Well, I don't just call you nee. <laughs> okay, well, now we're... <laughs> See? It, you don't like that. I think that's what it... You know, people, you Sounds like you're mocking up, me. <laughs> I'm going to cut this off before... This is not the conversation I had intended on having. I'm going to cut this off. my name. Go ahead. I'm going to cut... No, we're just going <laughs> to stop this right now. So I'm going to break the tension by finally explaining to you what the PT stands for. So yes. a PT boat. Oh, yeah, please. A PT boat stands for Patrol Torpedo Boat. Now, these were fast and maneuverable boats that were designed to be able to get around larger capital ships. So they're they're small. They're, you know, like as big as like a middle-sized yacht, mid-sized yacht. And they could basically bob and weave around larger like destroyers and carriers and they could uh they they were armed they themselves were armed with torpedoes so they had anti-ship weapons on them so their job theoretically was to run around all these ships punch a bunch of holes in them and not get shot themselves because they were so fast and small uh that was the theoretical purpose of a pt boat uh, in actuality a lot of pt boats in the service were real shit just real shit boats like, their radar sucked, their radios sucked. Uh, they discovered after the war that the model torpedo that they used had a 50% chance of the detonator not working so, uh, due, due to a mechanical error, but they didn't discover it till the end of the war. So, like, they were less than effective, I think you'd say. Uh, so that, But that's what a PT boat is. And our former president, John F. Kennedy, became famous uh, in America— not just for his name, Kennedy name was already pretty famous at that point, uh, but he was famous for being the last commanding officer of the PT-109. And why was he the last? Well, that's what this song is going to teach us today. JFK, for those of you who don't know, by the way, uh, suffered from back problems for most of his life. And because of that and uh, his asthma, he was labeled 4F by the Army's Officer Candidate Program, However, his dad, Joseph P. Kennedy, who is a real piece of shit, I, he's a historical figure, so I can say this about him, just real piece of shit, real piece of what, work. What did he do? He was, so he was, uh, he was a p- rich, powerful businessman. Uh, he uh, became powerful through uh, all sorts of illicit means, like he was a boot, like he got rich through bootlegging. He got rich by having a lot of mafia connections, and then he like eventually spurned that into more legitimate businesses to the point where he then got uh, nominated as the U.S. ambassador to the U.K., which is like the most plum ambassadorship possible. And while he was over there, talked a lot of nice things about Hitler and how how good of a job uh, all the uh, all the all the Third Reich was doing in maintaining order in their country. Okay, Steve, that last bit is despicable. But I mean, first of all, alcohol never should have been illegal in the first place. This so is I true. Think this is true. Having a bootleg business and knowing what the people want and giving it to them. And listen, it's a dangerous business. You're, you're dealing with illegal substances that shouldn't be illegal. You gotta get you gotta get some boys with some muscle. 
you know? And hence the maf- hence the mafia. <laughs> you don't get popular for no reason, all right? A lot of people were happy to have uh, this bootleg around, I'm sure. Uh, I that, agree, you I, can't let the you got if you, you didn't have crime the government would run everybody. Is this? You're right, Mike. Thank God for those criminals making sure the government doesn't doesn't run roughshod over the rest of us kind and benevolent citizens. So Joe Kennedy, he got his son. He used his connections, got his son into the Navy because Joe Kennedy was nothing of far thinking. He was going to get all of his kids into politics. Robert, John, like all of them were going to go into politics. He was going to get all of them plum assignments. So he got John uh, a desk job working for the Office of Naval Intelligence, a job he then had to leave because he had an affair with a Danish journalist because JFK. I uh, mean, yeah, come on, because JFK. <laughs> what a charmer. <laughs> uh, so Ken- Joe got John enrolled in the PT boat service, uh, and he got him. He wanted he wanted him in the war so he could get a political career out of it, but he wanted him far from the combat so that he could actually live to see the political career. Uh, Oh, so, what a dad. You know, you said he's a terrible dad, or you're just this terrible person, good dad. Sometimes that happens. I, I don't, don't know. I don't think he, so. Sometimes he, they go wanted hand in hand. Son, he wanted his son to reach true, like, um, you know, success. But he didn't want him to die. He was, ah, but you know, you shouldn't loophole your way through the military. Yeah, gotta, I, don't, I don't think that the, the, like, high bar for good dad is make sure my kid doesn't get killed. Like, that should be, like, the <laughs> lowest dad, bar. A lot of dads can't do that. I, no, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> uh, so he got him assigned off of Panama in World War II, which is probably pretty safe. You know, I doubt there was a lot, not a lot of action going on in Panama in World War II. Uh, but JFK wanted to actually do something in the war. He didn't want, like, if he's going to get his father, if his father's going to get him connections to get him in the war, he's going to actually do something while he's in the war, not just like sit behind a desk. Which is probably why he he banged that that Danish journalist to get himself reassigned. Cunning, cunning thinking you, you from think JFK. That's why he banged the Danish yeah. journalist. Cunning, cunning thinking. It's the only from possible JFK. motivation. Not that JFK was just a perpetual horn dog. So he. JFK then used his family connections, he used separate family connections, to get him reassigned to the Pacific Theater. Uh, uh, specifically, the the family crony, the Senate Naval Affairs Committee chairman. So, <laughs> oh, I, like, a the, I like the title family crony way better than that military rank. Yeah. Well, he was a senator. He was in charge of the Senate uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, or Naval Affairs Committee. So he got himself assigned in World War II in the Pacific Theater, which, again, as I brought up, any veteran to tell you, not the plum assignment. So that's a little bit of background, and I'll get a little bit more into it later, but we'll keep going with the song here. In the street beyond the roof, a death destroyer in the night, cut the 109 in two. Smoke and fire on the scene, everywhere they looked was the enemy, the heathen gods of old. Of a mighty good man. Ooh, I heard something about heathen gods. Yeah, so that right there is my ironically favorite lyric in the entire song. The song, the song goes, "Smoke and fire upon the sea. Everywhere they looked was the enemy. The heathen gods of old Japan thought they had the best of a mighty good man." Is my favorite lyric, and not for obvious reasons and not cuz i'm a you know monster but well, i just i just that's beside the point i just absolutely love the, the like the pure like american arrogance to think oh man you know 
John F. Kennedy was so feared by Imperial Japan that the only force possible that could possibly stop him were the ancient gods of Japan. Like that is, oh my God, we've got to get J- we've got to get JFK quick. Call upon the power of the sun god Amaterasu, the storm god Sanus. You know, uh, uh, hold on, I wrote them down. Uh, <laughs> you wrote down all the Japan gods? Yeah, the, the storm god, uh, Sasanu, the seven gods of fortune, all of them must be rallied to strike down upon the American princeling JFK, the guy with the bad back. Now, guys, would that be <laughs> an offensive anime? JFK taking on the actual gods of Japan? I don't think there is such thing with as an offensive. <laughs> I don't think there is an offense, such thing as an offensive anime. I'm pretty sure. I mean, there is, but not too, you know anime but like there have been there's an anime if i remember correctly there's a manga and anime where like all the axis powers go to high school with each other (laughs) i'm not the most well-versed in anime but i will say the goes to high school with each other trope seems to you could stick anything into that trope and it becomes an anime but yeah i just i just love the sheer american arrogance i mean like oh man they sent the american the american JFK, he is far too powerful with his asthma and his bad back. We must call upon our mighty gods to to smote him. Especially considering he's popping a he's popping a couple Vicodin and yeah. taking an inhaler puff before he gets out there on the PT one hundred and nine. Okay, let's get out there. Okay, wait, hold on. Yes, JFK. Okay, let's get out there, everybody. Quick, fire upon him with with the stars of heaven. And you know he's a good Christian man, so he... I don't know. He was Catholic, though. That was controversial in the 60s. Oh, Catholic. That's right, yeah. Well, that's okay. He was our first Catholic president, and we currently have our second Catholic president. Yes. I always forget there's there's that little... I hate that they're all... They're all wasps. They're all wasps. All of our presidents are wasps. (laughs) Except for three of them now. Uh, So, earlier... So, the song... Uh, a Japanese, I'm not going to use the word, a Japanese destroyer in the night cut the 109 in two. Now, the PT-109, guys, it didn't go down in a blaze of glory. It was not struck down in some mighty battle. Here's how the PT-109 went down, guys. In 1943, during the Battle of Blackett Strait off the Solomon Islands, the PT division, including Kennedy's 109, had performed miserably, as one would assume based on the information I told you earlier about PT boats. <laughs> Uh, nor to- no torpedo hits were scored. Uh, they were plagued by radar and radio malfunctions, uh, which eventually caused a lot of PT boats to just turn them off entirely, which would play into what happens to the 109. Following the battle, the 109 was patrolling on a cloudy, moonless, and foggy night. So dark, overcast, fog. Uh, Every day in England. The radios, the radios are off. The radar is off, which believe it or not, did not allow them to see the Japanese destroyer Amagiri as it bared down on them from out the fog. By the way, the 109 also had its engines idling to avoid detection by aircraft, so it also couldn't turn on the engine fast enough. So, believe it or not, the PT-109, not struck down in a blaze of glory, it was hit accidentally and cut completely in two by a Japanese destroyer, Amagiri, because neither ship could see the other one coming. And one was too big to move fast, and also, if even if they knew, they probably would want to run into them anyway, because, again, they're at war. And the other one just didn't have the engine on. 
Japanese army is sleeping on their boat. There's a slight bump. One of them wakes up. Do you hear something? Do you feel something? I feel like we hit something. No, I don't think so. Ironically, okay. Nick, uh, ironically, Nick, I, the, the damage the collision caused to the Yamagiri was the only successful strike on a destroyer by the PT boat <laughs> in the whole battle. That's like saying, I got I got the shit beat out of me by someone, but at least his fists hurt a little bit at the end. Steve, are you, tell, are you telling me? We can use it. That this entire ballad, you know, dedicated to the great battle John F. Kennedy experienced on the PT-109 is actually just about a, like a boat accident? Yep, it's a boat accident. <laughs> the stupidest boat accident that ever was. Now, guys, now, don't get me wrong. Are we... <laughs> Nick, you might have to cut this out. Are we sure that the the captain of the Japanese boat wasn't a kamikaze man? Because wasn't that their method now, to just Mike, run into things? Good point. Good point. <laughs> this is a uh, good point, historically speaking. But at this point in the war, the, the war had not been going so poorly for the Japanese that that tactic was taken on as a as a wide ranging tactic throughout the armed forces. Uh, the Japanese captain uh, after the war was asked about it, though, and he swears to this day that he totally saw the ship and rammed it on purpose, though that is given how. Again, the con- the weather conditions of the night, I doubt that they would have seen it and and done it fast enough. He could have just been like, yeah, sure, I totally did that on purpose. Also, who would want to be what? on the boat of the Japanese commander who defaults to kamikaze as the first option all the time? We're on a, <laughs> on a fully on a- stocked <laughs> boat with weapons. We don't have to blow ourselves up. On a PT boat, so it's very small. And they can also just shoot it with one of the many guns on the destroyer. Oh crap! Get up! Ramming speed! What? We've got guns. I'm. I pointed a gun at it right now. This is all I remember from boat college. This, or like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> Mike, you just said the phrase boat college. I want to hear everything about what you learn at boat college. Listen, you got you got to learn how to. How to start the boat, how to move it forward, parallel parking in the marina, <laughs> how to and how to fire those guns up top with the with the gun button. Yes, the gun, the gun, <laughs> pressing the gun button is a whole elective course unto itself. I joined Phi Delta Buoy at my <laughs> boat college. I don't know what there's, you did at yours. There's two buttons on the dash. There's gun, not gun. Oh, gosh. Ugh. They covered this. They covered this. Ugh. I don't get how the rest of the boat can operate by you just pushing a button that says not gun. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> I mean, given how I've explained how the PT boats in general ran, I they might actually have worked better if they had a button that said not gun and a button that said gun. <laughs> but JFK is not famous for what happens to the PT-109. He is famous for what happens afterwards. And on the coast of Colabangaro, looking through his telescope, Australian Evans saw the battle, for the crew had little hope. Two were dead, some were wounded, all were clinging to the bow. Hold up, hold up, Steve. Hold up, Steve. This is, this is kind of messed up. War we as hell, Mike. What can I we, say? We've got two dead. We've got some wounded. But every single one of them are holding on to this damn boat. What are the 
No, why they gotta get these dead bodies off this thing? I mean, it's just it's gonna lower morale. Or are they keeping them up there for like um uh what's that thing? Uh where it's not you. It's me. It's like a body not a body double, but like um a human target? Yeah, like a tar like a yeah. There you go. So are you t are you telling me on the Songtopsy report that so that the tactic there's a tactic where you just hang a dead body in the hopes that someone is like, oh, that's a living body. Shoot that instead. Whoa, 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 John, we didn't learn this at boat college. I don't know if that's okay. <laughs> hey, string them up, string them up on a bow. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, think about it though. I, I, I mean, first of all, he just said there's two bodies on this thing that they're holding on to. Am I wrong? Yeah, well, he, well, he said two were dead and some were wounded. All were clinging to the bow. So Mike is correct that in terms of the song construction, it seems to imply that the two dead crewmen, and again, this is World War II. I don't mean to make light of dead soldiers uh, or dead. God bless the troops. God you think bless it's the funny, troops? Steve. It's okay. We get it. Uh, but yes, according to this song, at least, including the two deceased crewmen, are also still clinging to the bow of the PT-109. Listen, rigor mortis kicks in, the hand keeps gripping. That's just science. How do you know that so well, Nick? That rigor mortis oh. kicks in after a few hours? Just like, just like Steve thought it's obvious that for some reason you and I and apparently all of our listeners should know what PT-109 means immediately, I likewise assume people should know when rigor mortis kicks in. Look, Nick, we don't all do overnights at the morgue, all right? They just need because, all the volunteers they can get, Steve, and I'm doing my part. Just because I paid attention in history class and you hang around dead guys, that doesn't mean that either of us are bereft of Look, knowledge. The, that's in the only science class I got an A in throughout my entire high school career was uh, forensics. I'm not going to apologize for that. Was dead. Was dead guys. That's not <laughs> called dead guys, a Steve. Plus. It's called forensics. Nick, Nick, you got an A-plus on dead guys. Maybe it was my knowledge in forensics that led me to have an interest in dissecting other things, such as bad, bizarre, or otherwise noteworthy music, Steve. Oh, circle. <laughs> so, so, yes. Back to, back to the, uh, the human bodies hanging off the bow of PT-109. Get the bodies off the boat. Get the bodies off the boat. So, the, the Amagiri strikes the PT-109, cuts it in half. At the same time that it cuts it in half, uh, it and <laughs> the PT has a has quite a bit of fuel in it, so the force of the blow also sets fire to the fuel, which creates a, an explosion. So it hits the boat, cuts it in two, <laughs> oh, and then the Steve. boat explodes. Fuck yeah! I mean, also it's very sad because this happened. Yeah. Uh, and because it's because it's high octane fuel, the fiery fuel also sets the water around the boat on fire. So the boat's on fire. It's cut in half, and the water surrounding the boat is also on fire. Oh my god! Uh, which is so like the fact that of the four, of the fourteen crew member crew members, only two died. That's what happened. Like how did like it's not a big boat. How did it get cut in half, explode, and then the ocean got set on fire? And like. 11 people survived. I don't understand that. Because these people went to a boat community college. They didn't have the chops to, to get oh, out of it. Oh, wait, wait. You know, those poor undergrads, Nick. Look, they they did their best. They, they got what, what they could do. You can, not everyone makes it to bachelor boating school. Wait, 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 Mike. If you want to get your boat degree, but also specialize in film, do you know what real life university you go to? 
<laughs> What's that, Nick? Full Sail University. <laughs> yeah, Full Sail University, the only university that also has wrestling. They all. <laughs> <laughs> The only the only university that also has pro wrestling. I minored in choke slams. <laughs> God, I would go there. Also, Steve, can I just say I know Amagiri the boat um, is obviously Japanese, but it really sounds like an Italian guy named Gary introducing himself. Wow, we're just insulting a whole a wide breadth of cultures in this episode. Nick, Nick, let me hear that. Let me hear. Let me hear how you how, how he do that. Let's. I'm a Gary. Well, <laughs> hey Gary so <laughs> I'm gonna I, I split you in half with my boat <laughs> I didn't mention this up top I, the reason why I did this even though we'd already covered Jimmy Dean was because I did want to do this World War II theme song in the middle of summer because we just had Memorial Day that just had the anniversary of the D-Day invasions JFK's birthday was also recently so there was a lot of like timing for all of this so that's why I brought this up it's not being brought up out of a vacuum um, no, no, vacuum suck see. things up, Steve. You don't bring things out of them. So the boat's on fire. It's exploded. It's in two pieces. Everyone's hanging off of it, and the ocean is on fire it's around not it. Not going well for this boat. No. Trying to save their lives Of a mighty good man. Again, a boat so ineffective, its only real ability to damage other boats is to get hit and explode against them, requires the combined forces of the Japanese pantheon in order to strike down one asthmatic crippled man. Look, he pulled the last ba- last trick out of his back pocket, Steve. And you know what? I think... No, actually, I'm not going to make any assumptions. Going to say it was difficult for him to reach his back pocket with his back issues? I just will say, the American propaganda machine has been fully functioning for, I mean, this was 60 years ago, but even well well before that. The most inane, inept boats, military events, bits of U.S. history can be aggrandized in such a way to make it sound like every single individual American is indestructible. You know what? I would beg. To, I would beg to say, Nick. I mean, let's think about just how popular this man was, Mr. JFK. Now, I would like to think, just maybe, just maybe, maybe he, they get hit, and he jumped into leadership mode, and he helped people survive something that Steve himself said was completely like a miracle they survived. I'm just saying, Mike, I, I don't know what happens in the rest of the song, but already Steve is enlightening us into the ways that it is playing fast and loose with history in bringing up, quote-unquote, heathen Japanese gods that need to defeat one not super physically and, well and, man. And, and the thing is, you're both right. It is a piece of uh, meaty propaganda, and it is also... Based on true events, uh, the uh, and I, I don't we joke about this. I don't mean to joke about the, you know, there's a lot of again, there's a lot of contextualism involved here. You know, like they we were at war with the Japanese, so I, I don't mean to sound like I'm pro Japanese in World War II. I'm not. Uh, oh, we already I, know that, Steve. Yes. Oh. 
But we also don't need to, we also need don't need to write songs about how the, the the Japanese need their gods to fight us. Is all I'm saying. There's a there's a gray, there's a middle and you two are striking it, which is good. This that's what this show's about. It's about differing differing views on things it's that about already happened. Striking things in the middle, much like the PT109 was struck <laughs> in the middle. And, and and Biden and Putin at the summit. Right? Was that, yep, that did they kind of come to, uh, come to a say nice yes, Mike, ground? that is another thing that happened. <laughs> I thought they struck a deal right in the middle. Or actually, hopefully, if Manchin uh, can, can get on board with one of these bills here. Mike is really trying to bring in a fourth political <laughs> podcast into this already somewhat third offshoot of the Song Topsy Report. And I'm here for it, Mike. <laughs> Uh, but I, so I don't, we joke about it, but I don't want to take away from the, the actual literal heroism portrayed by both JFK and a few other people we're going to talk about here. So here, here we go. He changed. the Irishman was burned so badly he couldn't swim. Leave me here, go on, he said, cause if you don't, we'll all be dead. A man to die alone at sea And with a strap between his teeth He towed the Irishman to the sea Okay, admittedly the Irishman couldn't swim before he burned himself So that's less of an issue So so if, uh, you know, if I, if I get a dog who hates baths Would I use the phrase, he's like an Irishman during World War II to water? Is that... Is that like, yep, Mike, you're forcing Irish me to setter? commit to what I said. So, yes, that is what you could say. If he was an Irish setter, maybe. Uh, now, now the person that uh, Jimmy Dean Pierpark's sausage is talking about here uh, is uh, uh, Patrick McMahon. I, I don't know why he decided to pronounce the name McMahon. I guess it was just to fit the meter, but or I he you just would didn't never know how it was pronounced. Maybe, maybe Jimmy Dean wasn't had never met a McMahon before. Vince McMahon, that's how you pronounce it. Stand back, JFK. <laughs> Stand back, Japan. Stand back, Kitsune. <laughs> Vince McMahon is just his like little floaties on and is slowly sinking into the Pacific. <laughs> Stand back. Hell, if I can't swim. I can only stand back. <laughs> da, na, 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 na. Listen to our uh, wrestling album episode, I believe, to hear Vince McMahon's hit single. There's a stand lot of back. back. There's a lot. There's a lot of backstory to this to the song from our other episodes. There's a lot of stand backstory. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh, Nick. <laughs> so Patrick McMahon was the crew member. He had the. He was the most wounded. He was the most. Hurt. He was he the had, most wounded. He was the most wounded. He had. That he was got, his high school superlative. <laughs> <laughs> most wounded he got hit with the brunt of the explosion of the fuel so he had burns that covered 70 percent of his body uh and so he and he because of the explosion he also got thrown from the boat so kennedy swam out to him and uh uh brought him back to the boat uh now swim back swim back <laughs> swim back uh so the 11 survivors, they got thrown from the from the 109 in the explosion, so they regrouped onto the bow of the ship, I guess including the dead ones, uh, and so they clung, to the, they clung to the bow section for about 12 hours, 
as it drifted in the middle of the Pacific. The Pacific is a very large ocean filled with many animals that love to eat things. Floating in the floating in the uh I'm not gonna do the I'm not gonna do the Robert Shaw monologue from Jaws, no matter how much I want to. But your restraint is appreciated, Steve. Thank you. Oh, Steve. It's like a doze eyes. No, um nope. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. So but now the hull, again, it's half a boat. So after about 12 hours, the the hull was sinking because it's taken on water. So the men decided to swim for land. Now, in the South Pacific, there's thousands of ti- thousands of islands, many of them uh, uninhabited, uh, unmapped. And in the case of World War II, many of them inhabited by very dug-in Japanese forces. So this is like a literal mine, maybe not a literal minefield, but it's a very figurative minefield. So they decide to swim for land, uh, and they swum for this, uh, the first tiny piece of land that they saw, it was called Plum Pudding Island, was the name of it. But it's well, des- Did it have a cute little sign when they got there? No, no, it was, it was named, but it was uninhabited, and they had no, it had no food or clean water in it. Wow, so, yeah. wow. <laughs> Thanks, Plum Pudding Island, for all the plum pudding. Uh, I mean, so, why, why would it have that name? More like dumb pudding island. That's what I would say as I swam up with my 70% of my body burnt. So so McMahon couldn't swim because of how badly he was burnt. So Can't this swim! Is, this is actually, this isn't propaganda, propaganda. This literally happened. So Kennedy, who I should mention was on the Harvard University swim team, <laughs> uh, used a life jacket strap clenched between his teeth to tow McMahon behind him as he swam. Again, bad back, asthma, swimming with a guy dragging him by his te- dragging him with his teeth. What a man. Move over, uh, Michael Phelps. God, no wonder why he became president. You know, we need more heroes as president. I don't understand. Ooh, when was the last president we had that really served like that? You know what I mean? Who went out there and saved a life or two? Where's a? I want a firefighter in the house. I want a. I want a marine in there. I want a Navy SEAL. Let's fucking go, man. It, it could have been John Kerry. Thanks, two thousand four. Oh, yeah. Steve, two thousand four doesn't listen to the podcast. I don't know who you're talking to. Uh, and I should mention that, by the way, Plum Pudding Island was four hours away. It was three and a half miles. So he swam like that with McMahon clenched in his jaw for four. Wait, the Four life hours. jacket was clenching his jaw. The life jacket, yeah. He wasn't chomping jacket. on McMahon. No, no, no. Ah, ah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the only way I can get you to the island. Chomp, chomp. When, Ken- when Kennedy Kennedy bites down on you, those lifeless <laughs> eyes roll back into his head like a doll's eyes they are. I, I, like, my, I like my meat McMahon rare. Because <laughs> he's like a little, he's a little crispy, maybe. Like the media. McMahon. Okay, so this. <laughs> Wait, we're, we're, God bless the troops, Mike Russell. Uh, so the Plum Pudding Island had no food or water. So Kennedy then swam two more miles uh, to what's called the Ferguson Passage, to which was a strait of water. Was to att- and he attempted to hail like any a passing American PT boat, none of which were to be had because their crew was immediately written off as being killed in action. So no one was actually going to be looking for them. Oh my God. They, they were immediately written off as KIA. 
Uh, like, oh, oh, that ship looks blown up, guys. That's yeah. actually the scary. Think- that's actually the scariest part. Like the thing you that gives you hope is someone's looking for us. When immediately, like, oh no, they're dead. They dead. They they so dead. So. They couldn't. They couldn't fly anybody down. They couldn't stay on this island because there was. They would die if they. They did. So he that he and uh, another crewman, Lenny Lenny Tom, assisted uh, the crew on another swim for th- another three and a half miles south. How many miles called, did they swam all together? Uh, we'll find out. Uh, to because this is about six or seven at this point altogether. Uh, to Hours Olasan- or miles? Miles to miles to Olasana Dead. Island. <laughs> Damn! Yeah, Olasana Island, which was mentioned at the top of the song, with Jimmy Dean Troll, it sounded like, Olasana! Uh, so, they swam to this new island, uh, and again, Kennedy towed McMahon by his life vest, uh, and they discovered that Olasana had ripe coconuts, so at least they had food, but they had no fresh water still. Oh, come on, well, if you're drinking the, the milk out of the coconut, I mean, you're getting some hydration out of that. Uh, right? And, and some, he, yes, some, but it's still not exactly refreshing. Oh, but right. it's better and all than the salt water, water around them, salt water. You know, it's, have we got the technology yet where I could just have a water bottle? Is it a Brita filter? Would that get the salt? I want a salt filter. To that drink technology any water exists. I want. It's just very expensive and not sustainable. But that's been that's been like a unicorn desalination. Yes, yes, yeah. Yo, that's gonna be a game changer. Imagine if you're just chilling out at the beach and you're like, man, I'm thirsty. And you just just take this little thing out of your pocket. and Yep, soldiers are still dying in the Pacific Theater, but people at the beach can have clean drinking water. They don't have to even leave the beach to go get it. They oh, just dunk finally. it right now. <laughs> yes, vending machines solved this problem 50 years ago, but now it's easier. I can drink the water right from the ocean. Warning, does not filter out fish shit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no! Uh, but uh, Jimmy continues. Smoke and fire upon the sea Everywhere they looked was the enemy The heathen gods of old Japan Yeah, they thought they had the best of a mighty good man He led his men through waters dark Rocky reefs and hungry sharks Brave the enemy's bayonets A 38 hung round his neck 38 hung round his 30, neck 38 a pistol yes. Which I actually wasn't able to determine If that actually happened or not So I don't know if that that He seems to have some knowledge Of the history of the event When, when they wrote this song So I assume maybe I just didn't find out That information But I, I wasn't able to verify that he had a, a pistol slung around his neck, which, again, doesn't seem very a, a useful place to reach your pistol. Yeah, like, it's around my neck. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I shot myself my, on the yeah, shoulder. My, uh, for the listeners, Mike is pantomiming, accidentally pointing a gun in his face. Otherwise, you just heard him making weird grunting sounds for 15 seconds. I'm glad someone explained what I was doing. <laughs> what gun is he playing with? <laughs> oh, it looks like a 38 by his object work. <laughs> I'll give you 38 or something. <laughs> I only know how to do desert. My hands are too big. I can only do desert eagles. Uh, so uh, two verses before uh, Jimmy mentioned Australian Evans saw the battle for the crew had little hope. Now that is referencing... 
a so there were these guys in World War II. They're called Coast Watchers, and they were a special military intelligence operation of the Allies, and they're comprised of Allied personnel and native Pacific Islanders who knew the territory and knew the islands better than any of the white folks could. Uh, and so they worked together to initiate rescue operations and to secretly observe like Japanese movements. So there was one such uh, Coast Watcher, uh, an Australian lieutenant, Arthur Evans, who through from his like secret base had actually witnessed the destruction of the PT-109. So he was the only one that knew that people survived the wreck. Uh, and so he, but he couldn't get anybody on the U.S. side interested in actually coming to take a look. So he dispatched two coast, uh, two Pacific Islander Coast Watchers uh, by the names of, and I apologize for pronouncing them wrong, uh, Biuku Gaza and Eroni Kumana. Uh, so they were dispatched, uh, and they traveled through 38 miles of Japanese-occupied waters in a canoe to find the PT crew and relay their position and, condi- and condition back to Evans. Uh, they discovered Kennedy while he was on another island that mentioned was mentioned earlier in the song, Naru Island, uh, which Kennedy had swum to in an attempt to find more resources. And actually, he did. Naru Island, he actually ended up finding, like, a Japanese, an abandoned, like, Japanese cache. So there was, like, fresh uh, gallons of fresh water and crackers and things like that. So he managed to find some more food to keep them fed. Um, so while he's on this island... Uh, Gaza and uh, Kumana discover him, and Kennedy gave them a message to return with. Now he they spoke very little English, ling- very little English, and Kennedy picked up a little bit of like their language from just working in the area. So they were able to like kind of communicate. Do you know what language that was? I it's uh, Melanesian, I believe. Okay. Uh, so he. They, they Are spo- you telling me that John F. Kennedy? Was a little bilingual, if not more languages. You I mean, telling me that our? Well, I mean, we know dear President JFK saved an Irishman who was seventy-five percent burnt up by a boat. Swam six miles with them with this life raft, uh, this uh, life jacket thing. Got to an island, found coconuts for everybody. Went to another island, found some found some crackers, and spoke a language nobody could probably fucking speak in the crew. To tell people to get a message somewhere. I mean, this this Mike, guy's like a regular Mike, wait folk a second hero. Wait a second, Mike, because you're gonna love this next part. Uh, he had to get a language. He had not language. He had to get fuck you for putting the word language in my head. Uh, he had to get a message. It was just him on this island with these two guys, and they didn't bring anything in their canoe. So he had to get a mess. Give them a message to give back, and he couldn't speak too much of the language, and they didn't understand too much English. So he used the only writing surface he could a coconut shell so he wrote a very 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 brief message carved into a coconut shell using his combat knife to give to these guys but what's to to get send back to evans but what's hilarious is that these guys actually on the way back found the rest of the crew who were on the the not plum pilot uh, Plum Pudding Island, the other one. They were hanging out there while JFK was looking for resources. 
they found them too and they had fucking pens and paper so the, oh, okay. so like the executive officer when he found them was like no 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 here right, hold on and wrote like an actual goddamn message out on a piece of paper not to just hand to help, them help help yeah so like you got, they, you they, they admire the coconut though you got, yeah <laughs> but poor kennedy can you think of like he must have felt like such an idiot like afterwards he found it he was like you're tell are you are you are you telling me? Where's my JFK voice? There we go. Are you telling me that you found them and you wrote it down on pen and paper and I carved it into a goddamn coconut like an idiot? Uh, but he did. And he actually, years later, that coconut shard found its way back to him. He enshrined it in a paperweight and kept it on the Resolute desk in the Oval Office. Hell yeah. Wow. Oh, that completely that. useless piece of coconut that <laughs> turned out to not be needed whatsoever. Just imagine him working for like 50 minutes, just trying to carve letters into a coconut shell. It's like, God damn it. This, I was trying to draw an M. It looks like an H. Now, oh, I gotta, <laughs> now I've got to start over. Get me another coconut. But so Kennedy, so Kennedy got Kennedy and all the everyone got rescued they got the message back to Evans Evans got that message back to the US uh, naval forces who were like oh shit sorry all right i guess i guess we were wrong let's go get him uh so they go back Kennedy gets rescued the crew gets rescued everyone's a hero but good old joe kennedy made sure every published account of the event singled out his son as a gd war hero which he he was he was a war he hero was, steve but he saved mcmahon but joe kennedy made sure that absolutely you could give a fuck about anybody else especially the two pacific islander guys the two melanesian guys no reference to them whatsoever I, they they probably could have used a little bit that probably would have been a nice bridge you know it's the same thing with, like, advice you give to middle management. You know, if you just give people some recognition, it goes so far. But you know that all that stuff I just told you about all those guys and all those events? Yes. Uh, that's a little much to fit in a song, wouldn't you say? And the the songwriters of PT-109 agreed, as you'll hear now. Four more days and four more nights, a rescue boat pulled in the side. The PT-109 was gone, but Kennedy and his crew lived on. Oh, a boat so, came. Yeah. <laughs> Deus Ex Botina. He let his men through waters dark. He let his men through waters dark and sh hungry sharks and he braved bayonets. Anyway, a couple nights later, some boat showed up and everyone was okay. <laughs> Long story short. I don't like that Toulon don't read. There's so much you miss out on that. You know, it's... Why couldn't he just throw in another... Like, one more. Kennedy just wrote on a coconut like an idiot because he didn't know... <laughs> The other guys had pens and paper, and they wrote things the way they should. Okay. All right, Steve. I get what JFK was doing. He had to do something. He didn't know they were going to find those dudes. He was thinking in the moment. Sometimes you look a little dumb doing that. But it makes sense. I think that when it's such a life and death situation and he did what a rational person would do if you have no other method to get a message across, I don't think he was like, oh my goodness, egg on my face. I think for the most part, he did. I actually like, I want to try to find an image online of this coconut. I'm intrigued. The fact that oh, it made it there, back to I, I can send it to you. I, there, there is an image. Send uh, me, how much is this coconut? How do I, I want to get my hands buy on the, it? You, the Kennedy coconut. It, it's in the Kennedy Presidential Library, and you can't have it. 
Because it belongs to the Kennedys. Why not? Why can't oh. I have the coconut? That said, I'm marrying into the Kennedy family so I can see this coconut up, up close. You to can personal. see the coconut at the museum, Mike. You don't. Yeah, I feel like if I had a real special, then I could like touch it, maybe. You I know? mean, like, Mary, yeah. Mike, marrying into the Kennedys is a kind of a 50-50 proposition. Yes. Can go really well or can go really not well. Or maybe it goes really well and then goes terrible, and that's all right. I mean, I don't know. Certainly, the Kennedy family is not marked by tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Oh Jesus, guys. <laughs> Uh, but we're nearing the end of the song. Now, who could guess or who could possibly know that this same man named Kennedy... All right, I got to pause for just one quick second to one call out. I hate the fact that Jimmy Dean proves he can sing and then still has chosen to do so much spoken word. I know we're beating a dead horse, but just saying. I I knew you would find that, and that's why I wanted to do this one, because after... Subjecting you to like three songs where he didn't sing, I thought you might like to hear him sing one. Well, clearly he got all tuckered out by the end of this song and decides he don't he doesn't need to hit notes anymore. He just needs to speak it, recite it. Anywho, I digress. Probably know that this same man named Kennedy would be the leader of the nation, be the one who takes the man. Which proves it's hard to get the best of a man named John. Big John. Uh, <laughs> Big John. They brought it back. <laughs> oh my God. Is this what every contemporary rapper has copied from where you start referencing your old material in newer songs? I think so. Without anyone to prove me wrong, I'm just going to say <laughs> I'm right. Uh, now... I will say, as far as political propaganda songs go, this does rank a little bit higher than uh, Lil Pimp Big Maga Steppin'. I will say that much. <laughs> I definitely enjoy it a lot more. I mean, again, uh, ironically, unironically, that section of the song that I said before is my favorite is going to be stuck in my head. It shouldn't be. But just like the everywhere we look was the enemy, the heathen gods of old Japan. Like it was, it's very. Boppy. It's like See, as, there's as, part there's parts of New York City. I so hope you start humming that to yourself on while on yeah. the subway. I mean, uh, hold on. I mean, uh, I was watching you guys whenever that part came on, and Nick, you were bobbing up and down. You couldn't stop your body. Oh yeah, from I had a huge stupid grin on my face. It was bobbing this way, bobbing that way. It's 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 a toe tapper. I'd go so far as to say it's not a straight up banger, but it is a bop. And just because a lot of the lyrics are a little outdated, to put it very moderately, uh, still very catchy. Big Boston John. Uh, I, I want to. Sorry, go this. ahead. I know. I'm just saying. I, lo- I love this. I I learned a lot today about JFK. in song form. Great song. The, form. The, the the best way to learn. I'm shocked. I'm honestly shocked, and I don't mean this in the way that I I know I sound sometimes when I say things like and this. And that we're stupid. Yes, I'm honestly shocked that I thought it, I thought you guys would like immediately would look at the title and go, "Oh yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today." I'm not going to lie. I, am, I, I mean, I knew Kennedy was a World War II war veteran, and I know that he like was perceived as a hero. I did not know any of the specifics about what he did in World War II. I just want to read his bio and auto bio now. 
Oh, there is a book. There is a book uh, solely uh, in the the research I was doing about this. There is a book. I can send it to you later. But there is a book uh, about Kennedy's experiences in World War II specifically uh, that came out shortly after he passed away. It was either shortly after or shortly before. Oh no, it was before because they made a movie out of it. In it was, there's a movie called PT109 about these events based on the book of Kennedy's experiences in World War II that came out five months before he was assassinated. And it was the first time a motion picture had been made about a sitting U.S. president while, that, while he was president who could watch it. Like, while he was president, he, he could go to the movies and he could, ah, that's not how it happened. What did they, they base this on? <laughs> what, what, what you wrote, Mr. President? Oh, never mind. That's totally what happened. And then I think the next time that happened was Fahrenheit 9-11 by Michael Moore. Wait a... Probably a slightly different movie-going experience for the sitting president, though. Just a bit. Yeah. Just a bit. Just a bit. It's like, especially since this was based on things that he wrote down himself. So he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened. That sounds like it was... Uh, Mr. President, do you want me to put in the part about how you uh, you you had an affair with that uh, journalist? Uh, or, um, or, uh, Scratch that. Uh, let's do this. Hey, let's do this. Uh, film it, cut it, and then I'll just watch it for myself. Uh, and I want to end this with a little bit of, I don't mean to get all PC on you guys, but after going through this whole song about the the heroism of JFK and... Again, Joe, F- Joe, Joe Kennedy, Joe Kennedy's role in making sure that JFK was the sole recipient of all of the hero worship. I should mention the two the two Solomon Islanders I mentioned, Biuku Gaza and uh, Eroni Kumana. They paddled a fucking canoe through through Japanese miles? infested waters throughout. Well, th- that's the thing. They didn't even they didn't necessarily know where they were. So it's not like they went right to the island. They were going from island to island to island. Like the Japanese would stop them and just think they were fishermen and in a in a canoe, in a fucking canoe. Not even a well-made canoe. I saw a picture of the canoe. It was literally a log that they carved the middle out of so they could <laughs> Holy sit in it. Crap, man. You know, damn. 38 miles. 38 miles of Japanese infested. And I don't mean infested. I always hate that expression where you're like Japanese infested waters. They're not. It's ticks. dehumanizing terminology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to see the Netflix comedy special, six episodes of, what were their names? Uh, uh, Biuku Gaza and Eroni Kumana. (laughs) Just say it, Mike, those guys. Bioki and Manu. Bioki and Manu. Gaza Gaza and Kumana. Oh, Gaza and Kumana. Gaza and Kumana go canoeing. That's, I want to see it. I'm not going to lie, that would be like a great fringe fest play. Where it's just like it's like a ninety-minute play, and the entire play just takes place. It's just two guys in a canoe looking for JFK, and it's just their thoughts, their discussions on life, love, yeah. where they see their future, just paddling around through they can, through the goddamn you can even get Pacific where they bump Ocean. Into, where they bump into JFK, and he gives them the coconut, and they're like, "What the fuck are we gonna do with this?" <laughs> uh, no, they they wouldn't say that because one of them was the one that climbed the tree to get the coconut for him to ride out. <laughs> Everyone, everyone shared in the decision making of writing on the coconut. Everyone shared in the decision making. But I want oh, to you point can't this, write in the sand. I can't take that with me. Why? I wanted guess. to point this out because I want to give them their their due. They were so they were each presented by a gift from the Kennedy family. He then invited both of them, Gasa and Kumana, to his inauguration. 
but the Solomon Island authorities gave their trip to local officials instead. Oh, fuck that! Yeah, because they didn't... I forget who was still in control of the Solomon Islands at this point after World War II. Beforehand, it was the British, so it could still be. I don't know, but... They were basically uh, were like, oh, well, they don't speak much English and they look like, you know, they look like Solomon Islanders. So we're not going to send them to the inauguration of U.S. president. Let's send two white guys instead. Wait, wait, wait. JFK didn't take his buddies with him? He invited them to it. But the local officials screwed them over and told, like, didn't didn't bring didn't tell them they got invited and gave the invitations to two other officials. What? you know, I hate I hate shit like that, man. Yeah, I don't want officials. I want the two dudes who saved my life. God. So they gained. You know, JFK must have been pissed. You know, he must he, have been. He was. He was. And he they actually so they gained recognition after a National Geographic special on their their heroics. And the in 2007, the commanding officer of the USS Peleliu. Uh, presented Kumana. Gaza had died at that point. Kumana with gifts, including an American flag for his actions. Uh, and for the National Geographic special, the crew that visited uh, Kumana at that point um, noted, Kumana noted that Kennedy visited him several times while still stationed in the Pacific and always brought stuff for him to swap. Uh, Kumana lived atop a cliff on his native island with his extended family, and his most prized possession was a bust of President Kennedy given to him by the Kennedy family. And Kumana gave the crew, the guy Roche was his name, who who led the film crew, a valuable family heirloom, what's called a, a custom money, spelled with a K. It's basically, it's a an heirloom that you place on top of like a chief's grave as a sign of respect. And told him to to bring it to the U.S. and put it on Kennedy's grave, which he did. And and that artifact was also then ken- taken to the Kennedy Library, so you can see that on display next to the coconut. That's, I'm going to this library. That's not. That's where I get those genuine. Like that's where history is genuinely interesting. If if they did not find Kennedy on that island, and Kennedy had died there, he wouldn't have become president all of world history would have been radically different if they had not gone to the right island on that canoe. Yeah. It's amazing. Everything matters. Everything matters and nothing matters. Anyway, thanks for enjoying this week's episode of the Song Topsy Report. Were we going to come up with a new name for the historically bent but still technically talking about music episodes? No, I think I'm just going to throw them out once in a while. Not the Song Telling Me Report? The Song Tell Me Re-You Report. Well, thank you for enlightening us, ignorant bums. I almost said heathen. God, the terminology. The heathen gods of old Nick. No, no, no. The heathen gods of Albany. Oh, you mean Cuomo. Yeah. But seriously, Steve, thank you so much for uh, bringing this to our attention. This was this was a lot of fun. You 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 made me. I was gonna say you made me stomach Jimmy Dean, but I've done that for many breakfasts. But you made me stomach Jimmy Dean twice in a row, um, relatively uh, close together. I hope our listeners, I hope you, the listener, didn't feel like you were unduly suffering in this little history lesson. I found and it very fear interesting. Not. And fear not, I've run out of Jimmy Dean music to cover. <laughs> this was it. So no more Jimmy Dean music to be listened to. 
Uh, but thank you so much for joining us this week. You should follow us on social media if you're not if you have not done so already. You're missing out on the polls. You're missing out on the hot goss. So check us out there. Check out Dabber Devil Productions. There's a lot of exciting stuff going there. Um, and I will selfishly plug myself. I think this is the first episode I get to formally say, check out my Instagram. Just look for Nick Brigadier. Um, I recently shot and edited a music video for a very good friend of mine. Uh which technically is no relation to this podcast, so but it's cool. Good. You should check it out. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Nick Brigadier as well. And uh, Mr. Mike Russell, where can we find you? You can find me on my Instagram at MrMikeRussell.com. That's MrMR.dot. And uh, yeah, like Nick said, yo, check out his Instagram. Check out our Instagram. Send us your song suggestions of the bad, bizarre, noteworthy music or just something you want to hear get dissected. Um... And yeah, the poll. Uh, you know, there's a couple of polls here I don't think I answered. First of all, Nick, uh, would you take a Chet Hanks acting class? Oh, God. Well, That's from a little ways seven, ago. You know, 70% said no, Nick, but 30% said they'd check it out. Those are the same people who would go to boat college. Get real. Yeah. <laughs> it, Nick, all right, you've been saying boat college all day. Naval College. It's a thing. Nope. It's a real no, thing. No, I'm not talking about I'm talking about boat college, Steve. I'm talking about where you learn about <laughs> boats. Every um, parent's like, why didn't you just go to clown college and have some dignity? I'm getting some real life skills here at boat college, Ma. You know? Like, you know what my I could I could drive a lobster boat, I could drive a ferry, I could captain the ship of uh like a big old ship the Evergreen. The you know only what, I said Dad hit the captain of the Evergreen. Uh, he, he went to boat college. Mike Russell, the only boat you could have a captain, the only ship you could have a captain is a ship of fools. It's just a natural Plattsburgh accent. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude. Oh, I'm sorry, but the, the poll is... Way to bounce oh. back. <laughs> yes. Um, do you... <laughs> Now I just want to ask a question about boat college. Yes, Mike, if I would be so bold, just I want to I want the listeners to say what class would you take at boat college? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Coconut carving is <laughs> the basket weaving of coconut. boat college. <laughs> oh, I majored in communications at boat college. Cut to me like with a crowbar smashing a coconut. <laughs> yeah, it's about four reams of coconuts there. Kimberly got forty thousand dollars of student loans for this bullshit. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Sure does taste good, though. Yes, Mike? <laughs> what? <laughs> Is that what the poll should be? Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. I'm just, I'm blowing <laughs> you guys at some great jokes and just laughing over here. <laughs> Sorry, I thought, I thought you were still deciding. Uh, so, yeah. Wonderful poll. And Steve, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at YourManTrollo, uh, on my personal website, StephenTrollinger.com on the Dapper Devil Productions website, and as uh, adjunct professor of uh, don't be at the part of the boat that the destroyer cuts in half and blows up uh, at Boat College. It's a pretty good class. It's class, a class I'll be teaching this year. can save lives, though. Uh, well, thank you so much for all that enlightening information, Steve, and thank you, listeners, so much for joining us this week. And until next week, I am Nick Brigadier. I'm Mike Russell. And I've been saluting the whole time. You just couldn't see it. That's true. There's video evidence that will prove it. And we will see you next week. Take care. <laughs>